0: Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zibigowski, going to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Brady Quinn looking, pump fakes, he rolls to the near side, throws it, it's caught by Samaja. inside the 20, inside the 10, he's going in, Notre Dame and
1: scores! Jones is the back, he's got it again, and Jones, a letter rule, Tony
0: Jones makes a cut, gets a block, and scores! Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish?
1: Welcome. It's Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojack and Luke Smith. I'm Tyler. He's Luke. And today we're here to put the finishing touches on yet another great season of college football. We're recording this on Tuesday, just one day after Georgia knocked off Alabama in the national championship. And I'm not gonna lie, this is always one of my least favorite days of the year because I'm faced with the pretty horrifying realization that there won't be any more college football for the next eight months. And I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with my life now. But um, we're going to put those thoughts on hold for now. And instead, we're going to look back on the entire 2021 campaign by the Notre Dame football program. We'll revisit some of our preseason projections and awards, see what we got right and what we got wrong. We also got some personnel and staff updates out of South Bend since the last time recorded. So we'll touch on that as well. But let's start with the national championship. Um, there's plenty to talk about in this one. Personally, I really enjoy this game. I thought it was probably the most compelling national championship game since the last time these two teams met on the biggest stage, um, way back in 2018. But what did you think about the game last night?
0: I guess you are right about it being the most compelling one since the last time these t- two teams met, but it didn't really start that way. Um, it was an interesting game. I thought I, I kind of thought it started as most rematches typically do, which kind of suck always. Uh, and there's not really any scoring, but obviously the excitement picked up in the third quarter late and then was pretty entertaining until it wasn't with, with Georgia pulling away. Um, I think I've spoken kind of at length. I really don't like Alabama. Like there's a lot of Midwestern, I, I guess, what's, what's the word I'm looking for. They transplanted to Tuscaloosa and now they're back and, and they're really annoying and they just don't understand what foot, football fandom is. Um, so I, I was definitely not upset to see them lose in, in addition a roommate from Notre Dame, grew up a pretty big Georgia fan. His mom went to undergrad and law school there, and, and I actually went to the opener against Clemson this year for Georgia and Charlotte, so I definitely know how starving those fans were for that title. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting game. I, I guess the one comment I will make is, it seems Saban can do no wrong, even in a loss, apparently. Like I saw people gushing over his statement when he put he made Bryce Young and Will Anderson sit back down today. Like what was so special about that? He made a couple comments. Like, this game isn't gonna define them. To be honest, like, who was trying to def- to define Will Anderson <laughs> in any way other than the fact that he was the best player on the field? <laughs> like, I know he, he like in Saban was like, they're gonna claim some responsibility for this loss what does will anderson have to claim and, and honestly for Bryce Young's part his receivers didn't help him at all like i, I just like was like that speech kind of sucked honestly
1: okay so i would just counter that by saying i think because we're a little bit removed from it we just see like the national perception of alabama i think alabama fans are also pretty insane um, and how they treat players and how they treat Saban like when we Saban do have to remember
0: rant, that that Bryce Young has been doubted his whole life too, so he probably yeah, needed. I mean, some He got his first offer in yeah. eighth
1: grade, like he's been slept on his whole life. But I don't know with Saban he. As dominant as he's been, he's far more likable—not by me, but I would say like the, the general public. He has a pretty high approval rating, and yeah, I mean, whatever. The thing is with Saban, like he really can't do anything wrong, even when he loses. I don't know; it just feels weird. I saw this insane stat from Brad Edwards: uh, "Quote Alabama has either won the national title or lost to the team that did." In fourteen of Nick Saban's fifteen seasons in Tuscaloosa, the lone exception was 2013 when Bama lost to Auburn, and then Auburn gave up the lead in the national title game uh, against Florida State with 13 seconds remaining. End quote. So clearly, you know, you got to be the best. You have to beat the best, and the best is Alabama. Like if you want to win a championship, you're gonna have to beat them, and that's gonna be until Saban. Retires, But I'm actually starting to believe that's never going to happen. I think Saban is going to coach until he drops dead, and I'm not even sure that will actually happen. So I'll pose the question to you. God versus Nick Saban in a fight. Who are you taking? God.
0: I mean, like, he
1: will. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Saban sold his soul to the devil at some point. He might true. have some of that on his side. I
0: also I want to make a comment about that, like, 14 and 15 seasons thing. The first year is a little bit misleading because they went seven and six. I'm not going to give them all the credit. They lost to LSU, of That's course true. they did. They lost six games, but um, but yeah, I mean it is impressive. Do, do you all ask you this? Do you think he will coach those that home and home against Notre Dame in 20? What is it? 27? No, no, it's not. It's the 30s, isn't it?
1: Hold on, I gotta look this up first. Okay, so according to Tuscaloosa News, Alabama has finalized its home and home football series with Notre Dame in 2028 and 2029. And Nick Saban just recently got a contract extension before the season, where now I think that's going to be in play. I think 2028 is the last year on his deal, and he's pretty old; like he's in his uh, 70s, I believe. Yeah, he is 70 years old. So,
0: you know what's this, what's scary about that 2028 thing is that we're as far away from that as we are from the 2016 season.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's. it's yeah, that, that, it's so that really isn't that, for him to be. That really
0: there. isn't that long, long of a way off, to be honest with you.
1: No, it's really not. And honestly, if like I had to bet on it, I'm just going to say Nick Saban is probably going to be the head coach.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, if he's like Joe Paterno in 2006, where I watched that game during pan- the pandemic when we smoked them and Joe Powell had absolutely no idea what was going on. So, if it's, <laughs> he was like, like 84. Yeah. I mean, Saban is right now. Um, you know, he's – how old is he?
1: Yeah, so he's 70 years old. Um,
0: oh, so, that's actually but, not
1: that – damn it. He's going to be coaching. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's going to be coaching. I mean, he would be
0: – 76, yeah. 70, yeah, 76. Yeah,
1: and I don't see him walking away from it. Like, you would think that he'd honestly just get bored with it at this point. But now that they lost, I actually think a part of him is, is pretty happy. Um, that now going into next season, he's going to try to sell them on like, oh, they're being doubted. You know, they haven't won anything with Bryce Young and Will Anderson coming back. And then, you know, next year, they'll probably just steamroll everyone and, and just walk their way to another national championship. But so it goes. It's just sort of a reminder that like, it's cyclical in a way too, where after the national championship and you're sitting there thinking like, okay, how would Notre Dame fare against either one of these teams? And I think prior to the national championship, we were in a group text thread and I think I said Notre Dame would probably only lose to Georgia by like 17. I think going yeah. will walk that back a little bit. I think it'd be, i be a little bit more than that.
0: Yeah. it It is interesting. Like just watching those two teams play against each other. It, it clearly brings out the best of each team because I mean, we've seen it. We actually have been on the field and been in position to win games against Georgia. We can't say the same about Alabama, yeah. but like, it's just interesting. It seems like, those two teams really bring out the best athleticism in both of those teams. It's almost like when Georgia's playing us, they like have to play in slow motion a little bit. They're like, yeah, all right, got to slow this up.
1: <laughs> yeah, this team has come a long way. This Georgia team, rather, has come a long way since we played them back in 2019. But every time I watch a, a, a football game, whether it be college or pro, there's always like two hits per game where you're like, why the hell does anyone play this Yeah. Sport? Like it's they a car like, accident on they grass. were like 20 last night. Time. And every tackle last night, it was just like, oh my God. Like how are they getting up after that? And they just keep coming. And then we saw Jameson Williams get hurt, which sucks because whenever it's a national championship and you got two teams competing for one, like you always want to see them at full strength. Alabama didn't have uh, Mechie or Jamison Williams, and they still took Georgia down to the edge, which just shows you like they're just operating at a different capacity than everyone else. But that's all I got in the in the national championship, shifting to Notre Dame. Notre Dame got some big news recently uh, when it was announced that All-American safety Brandon Joseph was going to be transferring from Northwestern to Notre Dame. Joseph is technically a redshirt sophomore, so he has three years of eligibility remaining. I doubt he's going to use all three if his career at Notre Dame goes um, how we all hope it will go. He got redshirted back in 2019, and then in 2020, the COVID season, he was a consensus All-American. He had 52 tackles. But more importantly, six interceptions and eight pass breakups in nine games, including that one uh, that we posted on our social media accounts. It's been all over the Internet. His one handed snag um, in the end zone off Justin Fields in the Big Ten Championship. Just like an unbelievable play. Statistically, he had a little bit of a regression in 2021, but still ended up with two interceptions, five pass breakups and 69 tackles. Um, but this is big for Notre Dame. I mean, hell, the defensive back or the defensive backfield got carved up against Oklahoma State. You know, Notre Dame's losing Kyle Hamilton, and it looks like they just plucked their uh, replacement for Hamilton out of the transfer portal. So, how do you feel about Brandon Joseph coming over to Notre Dame?
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely critical. Um, just kind of feeling from a depth perspective there. I mean, obviously we know that we have couple guys also coming back in the secondary. I don't think any of them are as talented as he is. And um, we saw, like you said, what that looked like in the Fiesta So, hey, uh, as soon as this kind of became a, a possibility, I sort of thought he was just going to go to Texas A&M, being that he's from College Station. But uh, he, he, I guess, still has some regard for academics. So, uh, so glad to have him on board.
1: Yeah, that was pretty um, – I guess I should say the reaction from Texas A&M fans. I guess it's like the first – guy that they wanted to join their team that didn't end up joining um, in the past few months because their recruiting class this year is just borderline insane. By any metric, it's going to be the greatest recruiting class of all time. I'm sure they're just throwing money to those guys, and I don't think Jimbo Fisher is really shying away from that. But you mentioned we're also getting some other guys back on defense. Uh, Isaiah Foskey was the big one. He announced he was going to be returning to Notre Dame, as are the Adamiola Twins, Plus, safety D.J. Brown and middle linebacker Bo Bauer all announced they'll be returning to Notre Dame in 2022. Uh, Myron Tagovailoa, Amosa, he declared for the NFL draft, but I think that was pretty much expected. But I'll pose this to you: What do you think is more impactful to Notre Dame's defensive success next season, uh, Isaiah Foskey announcing he's coming back, or the Brandon Joseph transfer?
0: First off, I didn't even realize that MTA had eligibility left. I just assumed he was done. So that was <laughs> it. Was just a COVID year yeah okay yeah so not really um it's a good question i I think with the uh, auto Lolas both coming back that that is also another huge component and just makes that defensive line so lights out obviously fosky takes it to another level but I It sounds ridiculous. Like I don't know that we needed Isaiah Foskey. We certainly did need him, but I think that the safety position was a a position of bigger need there. I mean, you saw how Isaiah Foskey played in the Fiesta Bowl. He was phenomenal, and and unfortunately, it didn't really end up mattering in the end run. Like It was the secondary who really, really needed some improvement. So I'm going to go with the Joseph News. That's assuming, obviously, that he plays up to how we're expecting him to But but that's what I'm going to go with as of now.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. I actually agree with you. I think Joseph helps because it's just a greater need for the Notre Dame defense right now. Although it was interesting uh, reading more on Brandon Joseph's decision with our friend uh, Mike Singer. He said that Foskey coming back and all the returning production on the Notre Dame defensive line was a big contributing factor to his decision to come to Notre Dame. Um, I don't know how important it was. Like if Foskey were to declare for the draft, is Joseph really not gonna come to Notre Dame? Like that doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense to me, but hey, well they don't I really mean, have to pick one. Yeah.
0: It it's a better playoff contender than eight and four Texas A M again.
1: Yeah. Like if you go to AM, you still have to go through Bama. You still have to go through the entire SEC. Like if you And you can't win games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're just perpetually eight and four. Yeah. Um What's another announcement on the defense side? Oh, linebacker Kahanu Kia announced he is leaving the football program to embark on a two-year-long mission trip for the Church of Jesus Christ of of Latter-day Saints, but intends to return. This sort of brought back a a memory. Do you remember when Manti Teo, like people thought he would leave for his two-year Mormon mission? he
0: still hasn't done it.
1: Yeah, he still hasn't done that. But that was like a big concern.
0: I I don't like – I honestly don't remember if we've had any other Mormons on the team, but um... (laughs) – I think he's the first one to do it. I had heard about this a a while ago. I don't expect him to return, to be honest with you. Like, I think he'll probably just end up at Utah or BYU. That seems to be where all those guys go after their missions, um, if the mission really works. But I did have a a friend of mine, Jack Walsh, say he was looking into Mormon mission of his own. So um, (laughs) we'll we'll have to see where he ends up. Maybe he will leave BMO and end up at some ski resort in Utah.
1: Something to follow. Yeah. Um, On the offensive side, Wide receivers Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins announced they will be returning to Notre Dame in 2022. Uh, We've talked about the receivers at length. We don't really have to go uh, much in depth on them, but that means Notre Dame will have seven scholarship receivers on the roster in 2022, unless they pick up a transfer. But I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty damn excited about Davis. I actually thought he might have been one of the most consistent receivers on the team last year. Obviously, it sucked that he got hurt, and he got hurt so late, so he's not going to be available for spring. But he's hopeful to be ready for fall camp next year, right?
0: I hope so. I I honestly have not followed that closely enough, but, um, and that's kind of what I'm I'm wondering about Wilkins too. I would imagine he's back, but, but yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to see that.
1: Okay. um, One last update spring semester at Notre Dame started on Monday and 12 of Notre Dame's 21 recruits in the 22 or the 2022 recruiting class enrolled early eight on defense, including all four, linebackers and then four on offense do you remember a class that had more guys early enroll than this one
0: um i think I think this is the biggest one although i I actually think that the one with Jerkovic was pretty big too like it was because I remember that was when I was in school and I remember seeing those kids around campus so I remember it, it was like it was probably around 10 um but i I don't have the numbers to back that up
1: it does kind of seem like now, if you ha- want any chance of um, seeing playing. playing time early, like you almost have to early enroll now. Not just at Notre Dame, like mm-hmm. at any big time program around the country. It kind of sucks. Like, second semester, of senior year of high school was awesome. I mean, I didn't, didn't do any schoolwork really, <laughs> sort of coasted for months. Like, I feel like a lot of these guys, too, were probably playing basketball. Like, I don't know. I mean, I understand why you want to get on campus, but it would suck.
0: That's probably the only reason Emil Wagner isn't. And rolling early because he can dunk a basketball. So he probably is playing basketball right now. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I It is a good point, but you're right. I, I mean, I would expect that a guy like Jalen Snead, too, would be a linebacker to potentially put himself into position to play next year with, with a strong spring, too.
1: Yeah, definitely. And Notre Dame needs him just looking at how their depth at linebacker this year just was decimated by season's end. You could see J.D. Bertrand was playing like he had, you know, Gotten sort of ran into the ground all year, and he wasn't even projected to start week one. Jalen Snead is under 200 pounds, I think, so he could definitely benefit from the winter workout program with Bayless. But that's it, um, personnel. Um, regarding the staff, we're going to do another episode in the coming week or so once these moves are finalized. It does look like the hire of he- Harry Heastand. Um, it's been reported. It hasn't been made official by the university, neither has the Brian Mason one, it's special teams coach. So we'll save all that. Uh, for a future day, also something ref- we forgot to mention the last one is former Ohio State and NFL linebacker James Laurinaitis is going to join Notre Dame football's support staff. He was a three-time All-American at Ohio State, won the Nagurski Award, the Buckus Award, and he's also Marcus Freeman's best friend uh, from their playing time together at Ohio State. So we'll touch more on that next week. But for now, let's do the postseason awards. Um, a lot of these awards we did in our season preview uh, way back in August – So let's start with our preseason projections because we were actually pretty close on these. But even then, we had no idea just how, I don't even know, how much of a roller coaster this season ended up being.
0: Yeah, so you were right. And uh, I I think I'm going to actually blame you for being right. You spoke it into existence that we were going to lose to Cincinnati. That's why we went 11 and 1. You said 11 and 1. I said 12 and 0. And if you put a gun to my head again, I would still tell you we should beat Cincinnati and go 12 and 0.
1: Yeah, I think you laughed at me. Or definitely got irrationally <laughs> upset. I was pissed. I was, like, yeah. I was pissed <laughs> because I said Notre Dame. I think the quote was, "You think we're going to lose to a bunch of three stars?" And as it turns out, we lost to a bunch of three stars. But um, yeah, so we were right. I would say, but like just from the overall record standpoint, we obviously could have been eight and four. Some- <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's like the 2012 season when Chuck Martin was like we very easily could have been 3 and 9 and ended up 12 and 0 because, you know, every bounce during the regular yeah. season went their way. But looking at it now as it as it happened, obviously the schedule was not um nearly as tough as we thought it'd be. Uh Wisconsin wasn't as good, North Carolina wasn't as good, but it does sort of give credence to the fact that Notre Dame just wins the games that they're supposed to. And a lot of people shied away from that, but they proved everyone wrong, including Vegas, who had the win total at eight and a half.
0: They did. So thanks, Vegas.
1: Okay, let's go to our first award, the Jonas Gray Award, given to the player who we thought would have a breakout senior season. So Luke, give me your preseason pick and who you would retroactively give it to in the postseason. So I said Joe
0: Wilkins in the preseason, and he actually did show some flashes early on. I think this is a little bit of an unfortunate situation. Uh, he had a great camp, as we all heard. He obviously had the acrobatic touchdown catch against Florida State too, but he unfortunately tore his knee early in the Cincinnati game, so we really didn't get to see him outside of the first four games. Um, however, he is coming back for a fifth year, so so maybe I'll make that declaration again. I think it's still on the table. Uh, if I had to revise this, I would go with DJ Brown. Uh, made the most of some injuries around him. really had a great end of the season. He did struggle in the Fiesta Bowl, but he actually finished with the highest PFF coverage grade of any Notre Dame safety on the team with an 82.2. Yes, that includes Kyle Hamilton. Uh, He also tied for the team lead with three picks and had 42 tackles. He'll be back next year adding so much needed depth to the secondary, so maybe he can uh, repeat this award. Uh, I don't know if that's allowed. Uh, I guess it's the first-time winner, so I'll let let a repeat occur. But um, I'm going to go with DJ Brown. So before the
1: season, um, I picked Houston Griffith. Uh, I was really high on him just because he was highly recruited. He was in the transfer portal. Marcus Freeman made it a point to get him out of the transfer portal and come back. Um, And that he did, and he's actually coming back uh, for next year as well. But um, if I were to give Houston an award today, it would be the Tony Snell cardio-only award because Tony Snell infamously played 28 minutes 28 minutes, excuse me, in an NBA game and didn't register a single stat. He was basically just running around. And in 524 snaps this season, uh, Houston Griffith was in on 38 tackles. He had no picks, sacks, tackles for a loss, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and not a single pass breakup. Maybe I'm being harsh here. He's got like two for his career. Yeah, but I mean, look. The numbers speak for themselves. You're on the field 524 snaps in a year, and you just don't have any statistical production to back that up. I'm sorry. Like, that's that's pretty disappointing. I was honestly surprised he's coming back, but hey, we need depth back there, so welcome to have him. Uh, so I'm going to give this to Kevin Austin. I think his senior season went about as well as anybody could have realistically hoped. He started every game, which was always the biggest concern with him, given his history. Finished with 48 receptions, 888 yards, and seven touchdowns. Um, he wasn't the number one receiving threat on the team. That was Michael Mayer. But he was definitely the number one receiver that Notre Dame desperately needed this year. I would have loved to seen him come back for another year. Totally understand why he left. Um, but, you know, th- it was one of those things where we had heard so much about him. It, it was at least uh, somewhat satisfying that we did get, like, one full year uh, of Kevin Austin.
0: Yeah, w- without a doubt. Um, I guess you the only other... Better scenario would have been if he caught that ball against Cincinnati and, and those couple balls against Purdue. But, yeah, you're right. I thought, all in all, very good season. Now, I'm going to switch it over to you. Uh, the next award is the DCO Cafe Award. Also notice as a salute to the biggest hidden gem on campus. So, the player was not a starter week one, but will have a huge impact.
1: Okay, so I went with Chris Tyree before the year. Um, not a starter, I think. We were both pretty high on him this year. Unfortunately, he had to deal with a nagging turf toe injury. Um, and also Kyron Williams, you just couldn't take him off the field. So it's just sort of a tough situation for Chris Tyree. Fortunately for him, he had a great Fiesta Bowl. So I'm going to give this one out to Joe Alt because I don't think anyone expected Joe Alt to play for Notre Dame um, at all this season, maybe a little, but I think everyone just assumed he'd get the red shirt and play in like four games or less. Um, Not even our friend Mike Singer at Blue and Gold, who is the literal president of the Joe Alt fan club, um, expected him to have this much of an impact this early. We all know... The offensive line was miserable at the start of the year. Uh, A lot of that was due to inexperience playing together as a unit. And then you throw in a bunch of injuries and it's a disaster. So Notre Dame was forced into playing Alt, who at one point was the fourth string left tackle came in for his first start against Virginia tech. And I think he gave up a sack on like the third play of that game. But then after that with him and Andrew Kostovich manning, the left side, the line significantly improved. They showed some stability and um, looking at it, at uh, looking at Alt, he's only going to get better. And with Blake Fisher, you know, the five star, highly touted, he was the guy who's going to start Week One at left tackle. I don't think it's unrealistic to think Notre Dame has two future first round picks um, at tackle with him and Fisher handling those spots. So, what a season by him! Sure as hell didn't expect it, but uh, the secret's out on Joe Alt now. So I don't know if he can ever be eligible again for the DCO no.
0: award. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I went with Riley Mills. In the preseason, he actually had a decent campaign. He had the game ball against UVA, finished with three sacks on the year. But it's hard not to go with anyone but All-Tier for all the reasons you just mentioned. So I'm going to agree with
1: you. Would Riley Mills? We're looking at him project like potentially starting next season. He could be eligible next year, right? He could. He could. I feel like he's still kind of unknown.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's. uh, I think that's that's fair. I think he's waiting to explode. All right, there we go. Moving on to the next one, the Arnez Battle
1: Award. This could be called the CJ Procise, Theo Riddick, Kavari Russell Award. It's given to the player who have the biggest impact at a relatively new position. We could sort of mess with this any way we want, but it does seem like every single year Notre Dame has some guys shift around who end up making a big impact. So who did you have before the season?
0: I had Cam Hart before the season, and um, I'm going to stick with Cam Hart. It's I think it's really hard to go with anyone but him in this position. He was Notre Dame's best corner this year. And he didn't have a ball thrown his way, playing on a thigh bruise in the Fiesta Bowl. He, he finished the year, according to our friend Greg Flamong, with a stat line at 32-64, thrown against him, 5.2 yards allowed per attempt, 10.5 yards per catch, five pass breakups, two picks, two touchdowns allowed, and just a 63.0 passer rating against. You know It was a great year for Cam, and, and I expect him to play himself into an early-round pick next year with his length.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with it. I'm going to stick with... With my preseason prediction as well, I went with Myron Tagovailoa-Amosa because he moved from defensive tackle outside to be more of an edge rusher. I actually thought about going with Ramon Henderson here because he was very impactful once Kyle Hamilton went down and he shifted from corner to safety, a position he had never played before. And then in the Fiesta Bowl, he played every single snap at safety. And I, I also could have mentioned Avery Davis because he's played every position on the roster and he had a pretty good year. But, um... I'm going to go with MTA. He played the second most snaps of any defensive lineman this year. Statistically, the numbers don't, like, jump out at you. He had six tackles for loss. He only registered two sacks but did have 11 quarterback hurries. And he also took a fumble 70 yards to the house that we'll talk about um, later.
0: Yeah, I have no problem with that either. I think he probably exceeded expectations, honestly, moving out outside. So um, really good year for him and, and kind of excited to see where he ends up at the next level. Our next award here is the Brothers Bar and Grill Award. It's the position group that might frustrate you at times, um, but will deliver when it counts, position group or player. Uh, I'm going to get it kicked off here because I just, uh, I think I came up with this award and uh, there's nobody I don't think more fitting. Even after the year, John Doerr, that was my preseason pick, (laughs) and he's the postseason one too. Um, As frustrating as he was at times, such as in the Fiesta Bowl, he hit two game winners this year against Florida State and, and Virginia Tech. The guy remained nails from deep and also was just the most predictable missed kicker of all time. Like I actually went through my text before we did this and and found myself with the following responses. Of course, is anyone surprised? So much of the John Dor revenge tour. And then that was the most predictable miss ever. And following with something unprintable after his extra point miss against Cincy. Uh, like just, I guess those other two kicks outweigh it. But good for yeah. John; he did come through when it mattered. But Jesus, was he frustrating at times?
1: Just incredibly frustrating. We talked before in the last one about how, of course, his last kick his is a, miss ended too. Yet, a shank to the right. It's it's very fitting. It's like a perfect ending to like a brother's experience. Because didn't you? Didn't they charge you for like the wrong person the last time you were there? Oh yeah, they
0: charged me for the wrong Smith this year. It was yeah, right be like at the thirteen dollars and it was like ninety eight.
1: So before the season, I said the offensive line. I was pretty worried about them. I did not realize uh, how worried I should have been. But I'm going to go with Jack Cohn here because the offensive line was undoubtedly frustrating. And every point you made about John Doerr is very accurate. But the Jack Cohn experience this season is kind of indicative of like a typical experience at Brothers. Like you get there, you get a seat on the patio on a nice day. And like right when you get there, like, wow, this is great. Just like the Florida State game with Cohn. It was awesome. Um, and then some time, some time goes by. A waiter hasn't even considered coming to your table. You're like, okay, and this is sort of like the Jack Cohen versus Toledo, and then Purdue. We're like, okay. Then some more time goes by, and and now it just sucks. You're like, all right, what's going on? Uh, waiter hasn't come by yet, or maybe I ordered twenty minutes ago, still haven't got a beer. You're waiting on food. It's just it's just how it is at Brothers. The service is pretty horrendous. Uh, and then you get your beer, your food, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is why I keep coming back. And that was Jack Cohn. He saved the season twice this year, first against Toledo when he, I mean, literally had a dislocated finger, gets it pop back into place, and then hits Michael Mayer for the game-winning touchdown the next play. Why we were in that situation against Toledo, um, I, I'd hope to not revisit that part. And then again versus Virginia Tech, he comes in basically like a bullpen closer despite starting the game and then leads the most critical drive of the season. Maybe, uh, gets a touchdown, gets the two point conversion to tie it and pretty much just saved the season. And then in the second half, he really steadied the ship, played pretty damn well, despite the constant ridicule. Um, frustrating, but I think, you know, looking at what we could have hoped for with him, I think it could, it it went just about as well as anyone could have reasonably expected.
0: I, I totally agree. Um, I talked about it on the last episode. I wasn't too thrilled about it when I first heard about it, but I honestly think he ultimately ended up exceeding my expectations.
1: Oh, totally. I think I was like, this sucks. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess the stigma of, like, any Wisconsin quarterback. Yeah, then you
0: realize Wisconsin football should just stop being a thing. It's disgusting.
1: Grant Mertz certainly isn't uh, helping that reputation no. at all. No. Um. All right, let's move on to our next one. So we won't really give a retroactive. We'll just sort of look at our preseason pick here. But the 401k award uh, given to the player who we figured might not have the biggest impact this fall, but whose progress we were going to be watching pretty closely.
0: Yeah, so I had, a, I guess, two guys I identify here, one on each side of the ball, Logan Diggs and, and Justin Walters. To be honest, I don't think I heard a whole lot about Walters, um, other than you know some things on the scout team. But Diggs kind of exploded this year in a way that I didn't really expect. Starting with that Virginia Tech game, he actually ended up being our third leading rusher behind Kyron and Buckner, with 230 yards and, and three touchdowns on the year. Also, that sick hurdle against UVA, and definitely had a bit of a disappointing fiestable. But there's there's a promising future there, and and I think that I'm really excited for him to potentially be maybe 1B to, to Tyree's 1A for times. At times, when Tyree was hurt, it looked like he just might be 1A next year. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, I mean, he made some pressure mistakes in that Fiesta Bowl, none bigger than that third and one run when he just should have just hit the hole and attacked. But he's very patient. Um, he gets the Le'Veon Bell comp a lot. And uh, yeah, despite that game, he showed some incredible flashes late in the year that uh, gives you every reason to be excited about his career. And also the Justin Walters pick, he's sort of like, disappeared out of the limelight you mentioned before or when we were texting offline like he had a great spring game right mm-hmm. and people were really high on him and then yeah just sort of faded um haven't heard much yeah. about him
0: and like Notre Dame didn't do their typical awards banquet this year I think it was much more lower key so we didn't see any announcements about like who scout team player of the year was so I think that a lot is typically gleaned from that honestly and I don't have any insight into that so
1: yeah and then out of nowhere like Ryan Barnes the cornerback yeah. that we hadn't heard from or heard about at all, just sneaks his way into the two deep right before the festival. But these guys, especially at corner, like we kind of need one of them, whether it be Barnes, Walters, whoever to, to make some pretty big strides going into the sophomore season, because um, look, like we can hope that Clarence Lewis, CPA, God love him, that he can improve and sort of make up for uh, a pretty terrible end of the season um, and improve next year. But you know, if you have one of these young guys come in and make a big impact. So, Before the season, I said Lorenzo Styles Jr. This one is interesting because even though I was right in thinking Lorenzo was going to make some big strides his freshman year and see the field a decent amount, I don't think anyone expected him to make this much of an impact. Um, You could make the argument that by season's end, he was Notre Dame's best wide receiver given what he had shown in the second half and his stat line in the festival. I mean, he was the leading receiver. He had eight catches, 136 yards, and the first touchdown of his career. So super excited about his future. I honestly thought he'd be like a, you know, kind of garbage time receiver, maybe return some punts, and he was way more than that. And I've said it before, I think he could become one of the all-time greats here at Notre Dame at the receiver position if he can stay healthy. Um, but yeah, I'm just really excited to see him build on what we saw throughout the second half of the season.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, he was fantastic, and and I'm very much looking forward to the rest of his career.
1: I guess now, if I were to sort of retroactively give that, I kind of want to see what Deion Colsey does, but maybe that will be my pick for next season. Okay, we got two more here: MVP, most valuable player. Who did you have?
0: I said Kyron preseason, and uh, pretty sure that was right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't I've, know how you could say anyone else. Yeah, I, uh, I've talked about it here. Previously, by the end of October, he had pretty much become my favorite Notre Dame play player ever. Um, just kind of cemented himself as as somewhat of a Notre Dame icon. Uh, I don't know where we would have been without him this year. The just the tackles he broke, everything he did in pass protection. Sorry, Todd McShay. Um, you know everything he did in the receiving game. He was just incredible. Incredible energy. His run against North Carolina was unforgettable. I mean, franchise is the only answer here. I don't know that we've ever picked a better nickname. We haven't really given a lot of nicknames out, but that one was pretty spot on. And uh, yeah, he's going to be missed severely next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you could tell how much Notre Dame missed him in the Fiesta Bowl. Like, when you look back at the season, there were so many times during this, like especially early on when the offense was just so stagnant, like he literally put the offense on his back. Like mm-hmm. his 52-yard run against Purdue, like Notre Dame could have easily lost that game to Purdue yeah. if not – for that run, I mean, I know they won by two touchdowns, but that sort of cemented the game. But still, Purdue was kind of hanging around. Kyron was incredible statistically, he had 1,361 total yards and 17 total touchdowns. He became a serious threat as a receiver as well. And, um, you know, whoever he goes to in the NFL draft, like, I'm gonna be watching him because it was just so fun watching him at Notre Dame. Um, my preseason pick, though, was Kyle Hamilton. You know, if he plays the full season, maybe that's right. But considering he just played in six games, I think, yeah, it's got to be Kyron. So last award, uh, not really an award here. When you look back on this season, everything that happened, all the ups and the downs, what was your favorite moment?
0: It's got to be that 91-yard run from Kyron against North Carolina I just mentioned. I mean, the stadium was already kind of going nuts and that just, it exploded on that. Like, I, I there are very few times that compared to kind of the sound on that play, but the tackles he broke, just the breakaway speed, the Avery Davis running interference, everything about it was just incredible. Um, so it's really not a question for me. It's, it's, it's got to be that one. I don't think I've ever asked you this before. When you, like, where were your seats in that
1: game? Like, according to that play, did you see it develop? Like, when did you realize
0: he was gone? So I was pretty much in the other corner, honestly. Like, I was in the end zone where he scored, but in the other corner of it, like directly to the left of it. So
1: I, see. I, know I could,
0: like, that. see in the backfield, I was like, oh, wait, he's still up. He bounced off. And then you see him running down the sideline. I'm like, oh, he he's going to go for a while. And I'm like, oh, he's going for a while.
1: I know. And so many times when running backs – break a huge play like that. They just get gassed at the end because they had to do so much work at the beginning. Kyron bounced off like four tackles and then he has that stiff arm, but not him, man. He didn't get yeah. Um, I'm going to stick with the running backs. I'm going to go with uh Chris Tyree's kickoff return uh, for a touchdown against Wisconsin. Um This play gets a little bit of a boost because I was there. It was one of the two mm-hmm. games I was at this season. And I'm not going to lie. Uh, Prior to that, morale was not very high. Wisconsin had just taken the lead. Cone was hurt, um, and our offense had been horrible all game up until that point. Wisconsin fans, the ones around me, the ones all around the stadium, they were going nuts because they just played jump around. And then in literally one play... Chris Tyree changed the whole game and arguably the whole season because if we lose to Wisconsin and then we end up losing to Cincinnati, we're talking about this this game and a, this season in a totally different light. And I know Notre Dame... Probably still up, let
0: Brian Kelly as a coach.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, Notre Dame ended up winning that game 41-13, to but really, it all happened after this play and Notre Dame just put it on Wisconsin. They scored that touchdown and then... Um, I think got a fumble recovery on the next possession, or is it three? Did. You know, yeah, they didn't score, but this changed everything. Um, and I had mentioned uh, at length before my just horrible record at big games for Notre Dame when I when I traveled down and um, you know made the trip from Los Angeles to Chicago to see this one live with our good friend of the program uh, Willis Pencil in the crowd. And it was just mayhem after he scored. I I was getting tackled into the stairs, like, high-fiving everyone around. And and really, from that moment on, like, that entire fourth quarter stretch there might have been the most satisfying experience I've ever felt as a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, hard to
0: argue with that. That was very satisfying.
1: And then that carried over, like, the rest of the day in Chicago. The one nice thing about a noon game is, like, it just made the rest of that Saturday just so fun. Yeah,
0: wasn't that great at the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point.
1: Um, and, a- and also another gem we got from that one is the the famous, all right, we get it. He sucks from a Wisconsin fan in the bathroom um, after Notre Dame fans were chanting Graham Mertz on the way out of Soldier Field. That whole experience was just awesome. But, um, oh, I want to give an honorable mention. Myron Tagovailoa, a Moses touchdown against Navy. Um, That was another awesome moment on senior day, no less. But you got any uh, honorable mentions or anything you want to add before we wrap it up here?
0: Uh, Honestly, I'm going to go all the way back to Florida State because – I actually just like saw Kevin Austin split out in single coverage out wide right before the half, basically. And I was like, yeah, he's going to score on this play. And he did. And that just kind of like set the tone for earlier in that year where that's pretty much all we could do was hit deep passes. And like I called the first one. So uh, that one just because it feels like also it happened about 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, that game really does feel like 10 years ago. And now we're going to have to wait another eight months um, before we see Notre Dame take the field again. So that'll do it for this episode. We will be back again soon, though. Um, I'm not exactly sure when that will be, but we do have uh, a special guest in the works, and we'll also want to talk about who Marcus Freeman hires as the next defensive coordinator and receivers coach whenever he makes those moves official. Uh, We'll keep you updated on our social media accounts, though, so be sure to check them out at Sons of Sat Irish, and uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.